But today we're going to be talking about the Passover in a message I call A Night to Remember, our series on Moses. Let's stand together, please, as we reverence the reading of God's Word. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. And may God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. Moses was the first man in scripture to carry the name the man of God. And we come today to that portion of scripture that deals with the last of the ten plagues that God brought against Pharaoh. It was the horrible plague that brought about the death of the firstborn all over Egypt. When we last saw Moses before Pharaoh, those ominous words of rejection were spoken by Pharaoh when he said, don't let me see your face again. Because if I see your face again, I'll kill you. Moses said, you've well spoken. And the narrative kind of stopped there, but it picks back up in Exodus chapter 11 because Moses had a few more things to say before he left Pharaoh. All these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, and all the people who follow you, and after that I will go out. And then he, that's Moses, went out from Pharaoh in great anger. And uh, that wasn't all he said. Verse 4, Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne... Even to the firstborn of the female servant who's behind the hand mill, and all the firstborn of the animals. Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue. Uh, that means a dog won't even bark in the land of Goshen. They won't even bark at us. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue against man or beast that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. Well, as Pharaoh had done over and over again, even with this ominous pronouncement by Moses of the death of the firstborn, Pharaoh's heart was unmoved. Moses would leave out in anger and as he watched the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. Uh, but not before delivering that last message that we see here. It's hard for us to understanding how that his heart could remain so hard because every single thing that Moses had told him was going to happen had happened. It had happened exactly as he said. Not one single thing that Moses had said had fallen to the ground. Everything he said 
had happened. You might think that Pharaoh would be getting the point. But how many people in America today, even in Cabot, Arkansas, live their lives ignoring that every single thing God has ever said has come to pass? And they hardened their hearts to the word of God even today, just as Pharaoh did. Moses promised him that his servants, Pharaoh's servants, would highly revere him, and they did. Rather astonishing considering all the plagues, they held Moses in high respect. (laughs) Of course they did. Pharaoh didn't, but the people did. They held him in so much regard that when the children of Israel began to ask to borrow stuff or ask for gold and silver, they gave it to him in abundance. They gave him clothes in abundance. Not Pharaoh. Along with the plague then of the death of the firstborn, there comes the establishment of the feast of Passover. The highest and most significant of all of the Jewish feasts. In our text, we saw that it was declared to be a memorial by God that they were to keep, the Jewish people were to keep forever. In addition to that text, it said again in verse 42, it is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover, no foreigner shall eat it. And he began then, he went on to give them more instructions. In just a few weeks now, as I've mentioned, we'll be observing Easter Sunday. It is the commemoration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ on that Sunday morning. If you go looking for a passage of Scripture in the New Testament that tells us that we are to observe Easter Sunday, you won't find it. And the reason is because the the day of worship was moved from the Sabbath to the first day of the week was to make it a commemoration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ 52 times a year. And if we happen to have one of those years where we get 53, we'll do it 53. Uh, But Easter is special and It's a tradition that we've added, and there's nothing wrong with it. I'm glad to be able to celebrate the resurrection day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Easter occurs in conjunction with the Jewish holiday of Passover. Passover was given a specific date. It happens on the 14th day of the Hebrew month, Nisan, which is the first of their calendar uh, months. They had a lunar calendar where we have a solar calendar, so uh, that means that it changes around some. Sometimes Passover and Easter that follows might be as early as the month of March. It's rare, but it does happen. It may be uh, most of the time it's in April, sometimes early, sometimes middle. This year it's going to be on April the 9th. But it will always be, always be, Passover will always be, On the day of the full moon, because they had a lunar calendar, and the beginning of the month was on the new moon, and the 14th, in the middle of their 28-day month, then would be the Passover, full moon. This year, Passover will be on April the 5th. To this day, 
Orthodox Jews and even some who are not really Orthodox still celebrate Passover. Though the way they celebrate it has changed significantly from the biblical instructions that are given. This morning we're going to take some time looking at this first historical Passover. And we'll also then see its New Testament correlation as it is fulfilled in Christ. So we begin with the history, first of all. First, notice the historical narrative. And it began in conjunction with the 10th plague. God had promised this through Moses. He made it to, uh, to Pharaoh. He made it clear to Moses that by the time that God was finished, Pharaoh would be ordering them out of the land. Not only would he be, not be holding them back anymore, he'd be making them leave. And he's repeated that promise to Moses again. As we look at the record given us in Scripture, the story of the plague is told in only four verses. Very concise, very specific. And the rest of this time, all of these chapters, chapter 11, chapter 12, all of this uh, many, many verses was devoted to the Passover. But four verses to the plague, verse 29. And it came to pass at midnight... At midnight, the the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt. There was not a house where there was not one dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone. And bless me also. The blessing seems to be added on because by this time Pharaoh has changed his mind and he decides that the children of Israel and Moses and getting rid of all them would actually be a blessing to him. You kind of see a correlation of that in America today where so many people think that if every church shut down and every preacher shut down, uh, it would actually be a better nation for it. That's kind of what Pharaoh was saying. Four verses tell the story of the plagues. Very straightforward. Happened at midnight. That's the title of our message this morning, A Night to Remember. It happened at midnight. As the first deaths were discovered, and as this had been carefully announced, I have to wonder, though the Bible isn't recorded, I have to wonder if those Egyptians who revered Moses and who had heard of what was coming, if maybe they hadn't somehow decided to sit up and watch, maybe cradle their children around them, hoping to protect them. If that happened, it didn't work. They were checking And the first deaths were discovered, and the cries and the wailing began waking everybody up, even Pharaoh himself, as death touched his household as well. And just like God had said, Moses and Aaron would be summoned in the middle of the night, probably the wee hours of the morning, and Pharaoh would tell them, get your people, your cattle, Take it all and go. Go. 
That's all really that we're told about the plague. We don't really have a lot of room to question. No, nothing there to question. It's very straightforward. God warned them. He told them it was coming. And it happened. But instead of the attention then being given to the plague, it's given to the establishment of the Passover. And God lingered over this. And gave them incredibly detailed instructions about every part of the establishment of the Passover. On the tenth day of the month, they were to take a firstborn male of the flock. That's in chapter 12 and verse 3. God said, whether it's a sheep or a goat, it doesn't matter. Firstborn of the flock. It was to be spotless. And what that meant to them in the moment was that they were to take their very best. Not some cull, not some cripple. Take their very best. Male of the first year, that is... A uh, male of a year old, a yearling we'd call it. There were to be one per household. And that animal that was put up until the tenth of the month, on the tenth of the month, was to be kept until the fourteenth day of the month. And according to verse 5, they were to kill it at twilight. If your house was too small for a whole animal, you could combine then with your neighbor and bring your neighbors in and they could combine their household so that more of the animal could be eaten. All of that given in great detail. The blood was to be kept in a basin. And the blood of that animal then was to be taken by a branch of hyssop. The Bible says that's a bushy kind of plant. They were to dip it in the blood. And brush it on the post of the door. That's either side. And on the lintel, that's above it. The reason for this is carefully explained in verse 23. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. The Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he, the Lord, sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. When the Lord sees the blood, he will pass over you. So that this death that is promised, this judgment death that is promised all over Egypt, will not happen to you because the blood is there. You see, it was not that the Hebrews were guiltless. They were no more guiltless than you and I are. And if God was going to move in judgment, then that judgment could have just as easily fallen on the Hebrew people as the Egyptians because the Hebrew people were sinning against God just as the Egyptians had. The Hebrew people had hardened their hearts against Moses just as Pharaoh had. They had rejected the message of Moses just as Pharaoh had. They were just as guilty of sin as the Egyptians were. And God was moving in judgment. 
And it would have fallen on those Hebrew households just like it did the Egyptians except for one thing. The blood of the lamb. And the blood of the lamb and that blood alone would save them from the judgment of God. Inside that house where the lamb's blood was on the doorpost, that lamb was to be roasted over an open fire. I remember one time, I and some buddies of mine went squirrel hunting. We were camping out, and we thought about everything, being a couple of young guys, except food. We had, the, I mean, we had a tent. We had, we had something. We had plenty to drink. Uh, it was Cokes, by the way. Uh, I don't know why we didn't think to bring food or anything really to cook with. And we ended up killing some squirrels and roasting them over an open fire. I don't remember now where we went for breakfast the next day, but I guarantee you we didn't have roasted squirrel the next morning. (laughs) You ever tried to cook something in an open fire like that? Uh, Maybe you did better than I did. That lamb was to be roasted over an open fire. They couldn't even remove the entrails. It had to be roasted whole. Only the blood. It was to be cooked and served with bitter herbs and unleavened bread, flat bread. Whatever they were not able to eat was to be burned. Nothing was to be remained. They were to eat it dressed for traveling. With their clothes on, their belts around them, their shoes on their feet, they were to eat the Passover ready to go. And they were to eat it, the Bible says, in haste. I mean, they were to grab it, not not lingering over the meal and enjoying it. No, they were to eat it in haste. It also began the feast of the unleavened bread, which God very carefully pointed out to them because they were to purge their household of leaven and starting with the Passover and going for another seven days, then they were to keep all vestiges of leaven out of their houses. And all the instructions that God gave to the Hebrews were carefully obeyed. Verse 28 says, The children of Israel went away and did so just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. They did exactly what God said. And so we see the plague that's uh, given to us in the historical narrative. The historical narrative also includes the establishment of the Passover. We see that. And then the historical narrative also shows us their passage out of Egypt. So the plague, the Passover, and their passage. Verse 33, and the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, having their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes on their shoulders. They were packed up. They left with their clothes, their pans, their kneading bread, no leaven. The plague happened at midnight. There's every reason to believe that these people were walking by daylight, if not before. They made a quick stop at the tomb of Joseph. The Bible's careful to point that out to us. 
400, over 400 years before, 430 years to be exact, but even more than that, jo- Joseph had told them, now don't y'all leave me down here when, I, when you go back to the promised land. I'm dying, but don't you bury, leave me buried here. So I don't know who it was, but somebody went and got Joseph's mummy, and it uh, gave rise to one of my favorite sermons to preach, which is the mummy returns, the return of the mummy. <laughs> Oh, I've, I've, I've preached that a lot of times. I'm not going to preach it today. But uh, yeah, the Bible's just careful. In the midst of all of this, imagine all this going on. And oh, by the way, they went by and got the bones of Joseph. Because they had promised. If you don't know by now that God is big on promises, you need to learn it. When you promise God something, keep your promise. And they did. So there they go, passing out of Egypt, headed to the Red Sea with God's presence and leadership clearly established before them. Verse 21, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, God gave them a night light. I like that. I've always liked that. So as to go by day and night, he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from the, before the people. That's the historical narrative. The plague, the Passover, and then the passage out of Egypt. I want us then to take a few moments to look at the New Testament correlation because this is how this comes over to all of us. Now, I don't have time to talk about all of the ways that this passage might be an example to us. Uh, The Bible tells us that all these things happened unto them for our example and our instruction. So if I were to go into an exhaustive study of everything that we could learn from the celebration of the Passover, we'd be here for a long time. But I want to hit some of the high points. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 says, Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed... Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, uh, Paul built on that whole practice of the Passover, and he's actually talking about uh, the feast of unleavened bread, which came after Passover. We often get them confused, but Passover happened the day of Passover. Then the next day started the feast of unleavened bread. And the point that he makes to these people, to this church, was that Christ, our Passover, has already been sacrificed. Therefore, it's time for us to keep the unleavened bread, a feast of unleavened bread, but uh, not in the same old way, but with sincerity and in truth. Uh, You see, the church at Corinth was struggling with some terrible immorality, and it was time for them to deal with it. In fact, it was past time. And that's the point he makes. But in the midst of all that, we get a great statement. Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Christ, our Passover. You see, on the day when the Passover lambs were killed, if we jump forward a few millennia, a couple of millennial or one at least, uh, I should have said a few centuries, we pass up or jump up forward a few centuries. And there's a day when the Passover lambs were killed. And outside on a skull-shaped hill they call Golgotha, 
Jesus Christ on that very day was being sacrificed, crucified. Christ, our Passover. There's a few things for us to consider about this. You see, there is a, a correlation between Passover and Christ, our Passover, in the New Testament form, as it has to do with the character of the Lamb. You remember that the Lamb for Passover was required to be without blemish, a male of the first year. And they were to separate him for three days so that they were to examine him just to make sure that nothing was wrong that was hidden, nothing that they hadn't noticed before. For three days, then they were to keep it. Jesus conducted his earthly ministry for over three years. He went through many, many, many debates, many arguments with the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and it would culminate then in that Passover week so long ago with his arrest, with the mockery of a trial. They would accuse him and bring him to Pontius Pilate saying that he was worthy of death because he had committed blasphemy, because he had lied when he claimed to be the Son of God and made himself equal with God. Blasphemy. I want you to know this morning that was neither a lie, nor was it blasphemy. It was absolutely true when Jesus proclaimed himself to be the Son of God. It was absolutely true when Jesus said that he was the Messiah. And after Pontius Pilate, then the actual official in charge, the only one who could sentence someone to death in, in that Roman-dominated Jerusalem so long ago, Pontius Pilate, so his ultimate official trial of Jesus Christ, then ended with this declaration, Luke 23 and 4, I find no fault in this man. That was Pontius Pilate. Even Judas that betrayed him said in Matthew 27 and 4, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. The highest Jewish court then that condemned him for blasphemy, that was a false condemnation, falsely accused. Why is this important? It's important because Jesus did not die for his own sin. He died for yours. And he died for mine. Simon Peter, before he died, would write, For Christ also hath once suffered for sin, the just for the unjust. He might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but quickened, made alive by the Spirit. So the, we see the correlation between the Old Testament Passover and the New Testament uh, fulfillment of it through Jesus Christ in the character of the Lamb. We see it also then in the condemnation of the Lamb. You shall keep it under the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. The Bible teaches us the truth of blood redemption. 
The writer of the book of Hebrews gave us this in Hebrews 9 and verse 22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. That these Passover lambs, when they were killed so long ago, the blood was carefully preserved. But they were to take some of that blood and put it on the doors and the lentils. And because they obeyed the word of God, because they heard that message and did what God told them to do, they were spared from the judgment of God. And they were delivered then from the bondage that they had experienced and had grown up in all of their lives. Israel could have put a lot of things on their doors. They might have hung all of the precious things that the Egyptians had given them. They could have written out statements of good intentions, talking about how good they were going to do. They could have talked about all of their religious devotions and all the things they had done for God or all the good things they had done for their neighbors. They could have filled their doors with all kinds of things. But they would have suffered under the judgment of God because only the blood of the Passover lamb would serve to deliver them. Simon Peter would also tell us that we are not redeemed with silver and gold, not by the vain traditions received from our fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. Spring forward through the centuries to that special Passover day in Jerusalem. And while the priests were slaughtering thousands of lambs that day, Jesus, the Lamb of God, was going to be crucified. Their obedience in so long ago for all those centuries, for all those many years, for all those Passovers that had happened in the past. For that first Passover so long ago. Their obedience to God's instructions were significant. It commemorated the time when it brought them salvation from the destroyer. But when God's Passover lamb, the one John the Baptist called the lamb of God, when he was sacrificed, oh, there's something different. There's eternal salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The writer of Hebrews would tell us that it's not possible in verse 28 of Hebrews chapter 11 that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Oh, that, that's not possible. Can't do that. But what those Passover lambs could not do, the blood of Jesus Christ does. For all those who believe on him. John the Apostle would write in John chapter 1 and verse 11, He, that's Jesus, came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. And so while we see the correlations with the lamb and the character of the lamb and in the condemnation of the lamb and how the lamb had to die, we also see the communion with the lamb. And that was shown by their eating of the Passover lamb. They received it. Just as we, by faith, received Jesus Christ. We must do that for ourselves. The writer of Hebrews also told us that by faith Moses kept the Passover. By faith. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling 
of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. It was their faith in God's promised provision that was put on display. The blood of that lamb could not take away their sins. It could deliver them from the death angel, from the destroyer. Yes. But the blood of that lamb could not take away their sins. Only the blood of the lamb of God could do that. And that's still true today. So I'm going to share a few observations with you this morning, the ways that we take this over in the New Testament and what it means to us in our life. It's a good time to remind ourselves that I've already done it, but I want to close out reminding you again, as the Hebrews and the Egyptians were equally under the curse of God and under the pronouncement of the judgment of God, so are we. So are we. All of humanity is under the curse because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But the blood of Jesus Christ shed on Calvary is capable of taking away our sins. And will for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When John said, behold the Lamb of God. He could, we could translate that, behold God's lamb. God's lamb. In the Old Testament Passover, everybody had to bring their own lamb. But this is one that God gave us, God's lamb. But then by the time you get over in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, Christ, our Passover lamb. You see, God's lamb can be your lamb. So that that judgment that was pronounced, just like in the Old Testament, that judgment was pronounced, but it was averted by the blood of the lamb. So God's judgment has came upon all mankind. But praise him, it can be averted eternally because the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin it takes it away because the bible tells us in second corinthians chapter 5 and 21 that's he that is god hath made him that is jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of god in him there's one more thing on the night before jesus died he instituted a new ordinance. They observed the Passover with his disciples. But he instituted a new ordinance, the Lord's Supper. On that night, he took the cup. He gave thanks. He gave it to the disciples, said, drink you all of it. He gave them the bread. He broke it, gave thanks. And they were all to eat it. And he gave them a command. This do in remembrance of me. This do. This do in remembrance of me. You see, the same God that spoke through Moses and told the people of Israel, I'm going to 
give out, send out this plague. It's going to be the death of the firstborn. And that horrible death then is going to bring about your liberation. And I'm going to provide a way then so that you can avoid that judgment by the, the lamb on their door and by eating that Passover lamb. They did exactly in obedience. They did exactly by faith what God had told them to do. And he told them, God told them, you do this forever. You never forget. You observe this by your generations. You fathers pass it down to your children for all your generations. Do it. You remember. A night to remember. It's a good time for us to remind ourselves that the same God spoke through the voice of Jesus Christ and said, this do in remembrance of me. I've been pastor of this church now for eight years, and I can look around this building. If I can see your faces, I guarantee you. But I know a bunch of you. I've, you've never taken the Lord's Supper since I've been here. We don't need to treat the Lord's Supper that way. If we can see God saying to his children so long ago, the children of Egypt, you need to do this and you do it forever and don't stop. If we could say, yeah, them Jews, they, but those Jewish people, they sure did need to do what God told them to do. But you know what? We need to do what God told us to do. This do in remembrance of me. Well, it's hard to come on Sunday night, Brother Rich. <laughs> Don't get me started. I, y'all ain't doing that. I, I'm the one that brought that up. I know, I know. Listen, I don't care if we had the Lord's Supper at midnight. You could be here. You could be here. You stay up to midnight for a lot less. <laughs> I guarantee you. This do in remembrance of me. Why is it important? We're not among those congregations. We're not the kind, some denominations, sometimes of Christianity. They, they observe the Lord's Supper every week. We don't do that. Some people believe that uh, observing the Lord's Supper is necessary for you to go to heaven. The Bible doesn't teach that. The uh, children of Israel didn't observe the Passover in order to become the children of God. They already were the children of God. Foreigners were not allowed. They observed it by family. That's why we, one of the reasons why we observed it as a church family. Um, we, we, don't, we don't do it every Sunday. We don't do it because it's required to go to heaven. Jesus didn't give us a specific time. As often as you do it, as often as you do it, he said, this do in remembrance of me. We're inclined to forget. And we need to be reminded of the incredible price that our Passover lamb paid for your sins and mine. Aren't you glad he did? I ask you this morning, have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? The Bible says that as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to those that believe on his name. If you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, there's another instruction that God gave us, and that is baptism. 
so that we are to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and then be baptized, become a part of one of his churches, and learn the things and observe the things that he's commanded us to do, including the Lord's Supper, not just that one, but it's a whole bunch more. It's a good time for us today to remember, and if we have a decision we need to make today, in response to this message, Christ our Passover, a night to remember. Then let's make it. Stand together, please.